Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we just read from Luke 15, which includes the parable commonly known as the parable of the prodigal or lost son. You're all familiar with that story, aren't you? Seems quite straightforward to us. The moral of the story is that the Father who represents our Heavenly Father is very forgiving. He rejoices in the fact that even though we may have run away from home and squandered our inheritance, he nevertheless waits for us to come into better insight. And once we do, he receives us with open arms. That is generally the way we see the gist of that story. Now, there is no doubt that these are indeed very strong elements in this parable. And yet, if that's the only elements that you see here, then you have not quite understood it. For this parable has to do especially with the doctrine about good works, which is also the very thing that Lord's Day 24 deals with. It has everything to do with the fact that our good works earn us nothing in the sight of God. And it has everything to do also with the fact that he accepts us because of no merit of our own. You know, that's a lesson hard for us to learn. I know it is for me. And so the Lord Jesus himself teaches that principle time and again and in many ways. And this afternoon you may hear that message proclaimed once again because we need to hear it again. Let us listen to the preaching of God's word as we confess it in Lord's Day 24 about good works and our justification. We'll see three things. We will see that our good works are rejected in the second place, accepted, and finally expected. So it's about our good works and our justification and that our good works, first of all, are rejected. When you read the story about the lost son, you should not read it without the context within which it was given. For we see that this parable was prefaced by the Lord Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and scribes. And the Pharisees had noted that the Lord Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. And they could not stomach that kind of thing. Here you have this man who is touted as a rabbi, a teacher, but look at how he disgraces that honorable office. Instead of exposing the sinful lifestyle of the tax collectors and sinners, he condones their lifestyles by associating with them. He receives them and he even eats with them. Lord Jesus is quite aware of that criticism of the Pharisees. And so well, what does he do? He tries to explain his position by means of some parables. He had already told them in other ways why he associates with such sinful people. But the Pharisees couldn't get it through their thick skulls. The message did not register. So now he begins with the parable of the lost sheep. 
tells them about a man who has a hundred sheep, one of which was lost. He does everything in his power to find that sheep. He even leaves the other 99 for a while so that he can spend all his time to find him. And then when he does find him, he greatly rejoices and celebrates together with his friends and neighbors for having found that sheep. In this parable, we see the love of God contrasted to the exclusiveness of the Pharisees. You see that lost sheep repented. And that is why he was accepted. And the same truth is told in a different way in the parable of the lost coin. Again, there we see how great the joy is when something which is lost is found again. There is a rejoicing with all those who are truly concerned about that which was lost. And in the parable of the lost son, that same principle is brought home again. But this time, the lost sheep and the lost coin are replaced by a human being. This parable is a lot more elaborate than the others, and so it also has a lot more elements in it. What do we see? Well, a lot of people think that this parable is about a lost son. The lost son is the one who left the home, who squandered his inheritance. That's what prodigal means, wasteful. And he came back only once he had run out of money and out of friends, flat, broke, and despondent. But is that how we should see this parable? Is that indeed the lost son? If you take a closer look at this parable, then you will note that this parable is more about the father than the son. The point is that the father is merciful, who does not treat his children according to their sins, but who treats them in love, as long as they have repented. And that's exactly the message that the Lord Jesus wants to portray to the scribes and Pharisees and also his disciples and the other people listening to him. He wants to show them that Christ himself is only doing what his heavenly father does. He shows mercy to those who repent from their sins. He does not treat them as strangers and outcasts. It's for that very reason that the Lord Jesus sits down with tax collectors and sinners. He doesn't reject them. For they too are children of the covenant. And as such, they too are children of God. And so rather than focusing on the lost son, it is better to focus on the merciful father. However, it is true that there is a lost son in this parable. But... Ultimately, that's not the younger son, is it? Well, sure, he was lost for a little while, but he did return to the father. And so in the end, he was no longer lost. But the lost son is actually the eldest son. Think about it. For he lost his relationship with his father and with his brother. He was angry at both of them. He was angry because he did not think that his younger brother deserved the welcome that he received. 
In this parable, the Lord Jesus introduces the eldest brother to represent the self-righteous scribes and Pharisees. The elder brother did not rejoice that a sinner has returned to the fold. No, instead, he finds fault. He is envious of his younger brother. He is angry at his father for giving preference to the younger son. For look at it from his perspective. Look at the difference between himself and his younger brother. At least he was obedient to his father all those years. He did what was required of him. And then some, he did not go off somewhere and squander his money. No, on the contrary, he stayed at home. He did his work. He never brought disgrace or shame to his family. He had been an upstanding citizen all his life. And so he thought that his loyalty and good behavior earned him a very special place with others and especially with his father. But do you see what was wrong with this man's thinking? And for that matter, with the thinking of the Pharisees to whom the Lord Jesus applies this? He thinks that he can earn a place in his father's heart. He may think, well, what's wrong with that? Why did he do anything wrong? Should he not be commended rather than rebuked? But then I want you to think again. For you remember what the summary of the law is, don't you? You must love your God and your neighbor. Well, he broke both commandments, and as such, he was guilty of the whole law. For he did not show any love to his brother who had returned and who had repented. Instead, he scorned him. He was full of resentment against him. He did not want to forgive him his sins. He did not rejoice in the fact that his brother had returned. And in the second place, he did not love his father either, did he? He was angry at his father for accepting the wayward brother in the way that he did. He would not forgive his father for graciously having forgiven his younger son his sins. But the most striking thing that we see here in this parable is that the eldest son thought that he could earn his inheritance with his father. His idea was that his father's favor was because he was obedient to him and that he always did what was required of him. But that was not the case. That was not the reason why he received the inheritance. No, that inheritance came to him because he was his son. As soon as that child was born, he had a very special relationship with his father. He was his own flesh and blood. That child belonged to him. And his inheritance was due to him because of that fact alone. And so it is also with us, brothers and sisters. In Romans 8, 16 through 17, we too are called children of God. And by virtue of that very fact, we are heirs. No other reason is given. It says there, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, 
Our inheritance is due to us for no other reason than that the Father has adopted us as his children. He made us part of the covenant. He said to you and to me, you are my child and I will provide for you. I will give you whatever you need for your well-being. I will even grant you eternal life. The same thing Paul says to the Galatians. He says in chapter 3, verse 18, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And so we can't earn our inheritance. It's our birthright. God gave it to us because of the promise which he made to each and every one at the time of their baptism. It's true, of course, that as we grow up and we become estranged from our parents, disowning them even, not wanting to be their children any longer for whatever reason, that then a point may come in our lives that we disinherit ourselves. A son who ridicules his father and who dishonors his parents in every way, who even changes his name because he wants nothing to do with his family name, he wants nothing to do with his parents any longer, well, such a person excludes himself from the inheritance. But that's something that he has done. And that's also the way it is with regard to, the way it is with us with regard to our Heavenly Father. The Lord God gives us the promise of eternal life. He signed and sealed that promise in baptism. He gave us his name. And therefore we may also wear his name, Christians. That is, those belonging to Christ, to God. And he proclaims that time and again in his word. But if we reject that promise, if we act if we are not his children, and if we do not repent from our sins, well, then we automatically exclude ourselves. Let's get back to the parable. The eldest son did indeed what was required of him. Yeah, he was obedient to the father. In that sense, you may even say that he showed himself to be a true son of his father. It appears that he did not dishonor him. But is that really true? For why did he obey his father? Why did the older son do the things that he did? Did he do it out of a love for his father? Or for selfish reasons? Well, I think you know the answer. He just wanted the inheritance. He wanted to see what he could get out of the relationship. That's the main thing that he was interested in. He wanted to earn it. He did not want to serve his father or to be obedient to him out of love for him or out of thankfulness. No, he thought that his inheritance was due to him because of his good works. And that was his greatest sin. And furthermore, the son was actually not like the father at all. Through the actions of the son, you did not recognize the father. He was not the least like him. For the father was a man full of compassion, but love, 
and patience and understanding. What was the oldest son like? He was nothing but a self-righteous sourpuss. The father said, let's throw a party. My son has returned. Let's have a feast. It is a time for rejoicing. But the son says, the older son says, a party? A time for rejoicing? Look at that miserable brother of mine. Look at what all he has done. And now you want to throw a party? How could you even think of it? Let's take that to heart, brothers and sisters. Let's learn from this parable how we relate to our Heavenly Father. He also throws a party for you and for me. He does that every day and especially on the first day of the week, on Sunday, when we come together as brothers and sisters in the Lord and as we listen to the Father's word and sing of his goodness, then we too may rejoice together. We can have a party together right here. And rejoice about what? Well, he gives us our inheritance because we are his children, not because we are such good people. The good news is that our Heavenly Father is not angry with any of us because of the things we have done if we repent and show that we are repentant. We do not have to earn it. It's a free gift, as we also saw this morning. As Paul says in Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That brings us to our second point, namely that our good works are accepted. It's true, of course, that we as children of God the Father and as heirs of eternal life, that we must do good works. Everyone knows that the Lord requires from us to live lives of holiness. We may not neglect our duties to our Heavenly Father. Indeed, we also know that he will most certainly reward us. There are many passages in the scriptures which speak about that. For example, it says in Psalm 19, verse 11, Moreover, by them, referring to the law of God, is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. And we can also read in Hebrews 11 verse 26 that Moses looked forward to a reward. And many other passages speak about the great reward that awaits us. And but the catechism says that such reward is not earned, but it is a free gift of grace. How hard it is for us to understand that. Brothers and sisters, the Lord does not want us to depend on our good works. For as the catechism says, even the best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. The eldest son in the parable of the lost son was a haughty man just like the Pharisees. He prided in his own disobedience, but he could not see his own sins. He saw his faithfulness to his father by his outward actions and not by his inward attitude and holiness of heart. 
He was a faithful and hard worker, but his labor was not a labor of love. He showed his love to his father only because of the reward that he was expecting, not because he really loved his father. Isn't that often the way we act as well? We will do something for another person, not because we really want to, but because we expect something in return. Well, the Lord does not want that kind of obedience. It must be an obedience out of love for the Father without expecting anything in return. His whole attitude showed what a thankless person he really was. And that's also what we must learn with regard to our attitude to God. So let me ask you, do you go to church and try to lead a decent life in the first place because you want to earn an inheritance? Do you want to serve him because you want to receive eternal life? You may think that's a strange question. For it is indeed true that that is a strong motivation in our wanting to serve the Lord. I know it is for me. That's what we all want. What we all look forward to. Yet if that is the primary reason for our obedience, then we are not leading a life of thankfulness. For we should serve the Lord God out of love, out of the love that he has shown us in so many ways. He is the one who gives you and me life and who chooses us to eternal life. He made it possible that we can have joyful lives, that we can have the things that we have. He is the one who accepts us with open arms, without reservations. It's an unconditional love. He made everything well between him and us. And it is for that reason that we should want to serve him and do good works. It's a matter of joy. You already have the reward. That's a free gift. And because of that, we serve him. Because of that, we are thankful for that gift. The most disturbing thing about the other son was that he was angry with his father. And that he thought that his younger brother deserved nothing at all. And yet, what does the father do? Does he right away reject his elder son because of his ungrateful and spiteful attitude? No, he doesn't, does he? The father talks to him. He tries to smooth him in his anger. He told him, son, everything that I have already belongs to you. You could have what you want, but you have to accept it with a thankful heart, thankful for the fact that your brother has been restored to favor. And so then do we not have to contribute anything to our salvation? Well, question 64 also shows us that our good works are to be expected. It's our third point. As you know, this Lord's Day is under the heading of our justification. It means that we are declared righteous. Our sins are forgiven and we are again acceptable in the sight of God. See how that act of justification is portrayed in the parable of the merciful father. The father welcomes his son with open arms. In one of the commentaries I read that in the East, old men do not run. 
was not considered a dignified thing to do. Yet the father ran to meet him. The obvious reason was to show how eager he was to forgive him. There's also another element. This wayward son had disgraced his family, and according to Deuteronomy 21, verse 18 and following, he deserved to be stoned to death because of what he did. And if the neighbors had started to stone the son, they would have hit the father who was embracing him. What a picture of the Lord Jesus, what he did on the cross. Here you see the true doctrine of justification. And how do you think that now that younger wayward son felt towards the father after he forgave him and did for him what he did? Don't you think he would have been eternally grateful? Of course. And how do you think that his son would act from here on in? He had tasted what it was like to be without the father. It was absolute misery. But now he is back with the father. He can have a full stomach again. He can experience the love and the care of the father. He was dead and now he is alive. He was lost and now he was found. What a great joy. It's not likely that he would run away again, is it? No, his service from now on would be one of gratitude and respect and humility. He will want to do everything to please his father who showed, who showed his love to him in such a wonderful way. And that is what the catechism means when it says that it is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruit of thankfulness. Brothers and sisters, are you truly thankful? for what the Lord has done for you? Are you thankful for the fact that he shows his great love for you even though you too once were lost? And does such thankfulness also live in your hearts? Do you have a song in your heart every day for the Father, that Father that you have in heaven? How can it be otherwise? Are you also thankful for those who have fallen into sin and who have now been restored again, who have repented from their sin and who have shown that? Are you thankful for your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Also the ones who at one time scored the love of the Father? Or do you have a self-righteous attitude? Well... He or she had better apologize for past sins. Oh, sure, forgiveness is a process. But a forgiving attitude is not. We should always be ready and eager to have restored relationships. We should not exclude those whom God does not exclude. Let's not forget, you and I, we have been saved through grace alone. And that applies to all of us. There are no exceptions. Love one another as the Lord loves you. If you truly 
know yourself to be a child of God, you cannot act otherwise. And so show yourselves to be thankful children of the Father, brothers and sisters, and do that with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the Father who is in heaven will give you a rich reward through no merit of your own. Amen.